Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Welcome to Canceling the Apocalypse. My name is Dom. And my name is Raph. I sound like a TV presenter. I, I mean, I now all, can't all, stop doing that. We've all <laughs> learnt how to speak off of television, Raphael. Maybe you more than anyone I know, because you know, you are uh, you are a little performing dancing monkey. I lo- I am I am a performing dancing monkey. I I I dance and perform for free. Um, I have not done any performance poetry for like actual years now. Um, mm, one day, Dom. One day. I mean, I do perform. I do perform all the time as well, but it's just my job teaching. Or I get up and I like do a little song and dance about why you should care about Shakespeare. What do you say? Oh, you know that if his his uh, work is extremely relevant, even though it's culturally culturally distinct, and that it's so interesting that someone who was you know writing four hundred years ago had so many of the same similar human concerns. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, had, I've had a lot of time to, to refine my to practice that one. I do yeah. actually um, keep finding it surprising that people from quite a long time ago um, think most of the same as us. Like, like it's such like a, a truism, I suppose. And yet I, I keep being like, huh, they, they did think similarly to us. And they also found butts funny. And I just... Butts are so funny. Butts I've so been, funny. I've been watching... Um, this uh this youtube series that is a uh actually not a youtube series it's an art history lecture series and i think in the university of utah that the guy has posted for free on youtube like the the professor um like he it it is about the art history of like western art western visual culture Mm. and he goes like he starts by defining what is the west and how that's you know fake and um what we could think of of the West is a really broad um, you know, land mass and time period. But yeah, it goes all the way back to like earliest art, like Manuport um, and and carvings and like the first temple, what's called the first temple, which we know could not have, phys- could not have been the first temple because it's so well made that it was clearly like you've been doing this for a while, which is in Turkey somewhere, but was made, interestingly, by hunter-gatherers, which is crazy. Oh, really? You know, to make to make a big temple, to make it like a big building, you you assume a, a labor workforce, like a big team of people, uh, and then a surplus of food that you associate with hunter gatherers. What that, you associate that with is pastoralism. Yeah, absolutely. Which happens to be in an entire coincidence of insane proportions. Uh, the content of our podcast today the theme of our podcast today pastoralism i i didn't think about that when i started talking but i linked it back around which is another trick i've got from teaching um you know you st- you just go off on a little random tangent and then you link things back together everything's connected so it's actually fine i think the thing i was going to say you are, you are truly the greatest performer <laughs> thank you very much that's okay. the thing i was going to link it is um how you said uh, earlier when we were just having a chat uh, you've been working on your uh, allotment with your partner mm. um and growing things and putting in a putting in a um, compost heap and how satisfying that's been 
whereas I, uh, not to my knowledge, have been growing mold in my frame. So I am now sleeping on my couch with my partner and we hate it. We need to buy a new bed. It works really well because it's all about growing and growth and surplus and the stuff we do when we have surplus. I was thinking about this, um, about mold yesterday as well, actually. Not not because I had mold growing onto my bed frame, for which I'm still really, really sad to hear that about your, your bed. Um, but... I was just I was just thinking about the way that that both like things that are objectively not mold and not decay, and also of course things which are like like compost and rotting and worms and and you know like broken down manure and stuff are like completely and hummus are completely not the dip. I found out these are two different things. You can't no, put different hummus, things. You can't put hummus in your backyard and expect there to grow plants out actually i don't know maybe you could um i mean you probably could it is still mostly plant matter i guess there's like that citrus but you don't want to put hummus from your backyard into a pita no 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 no. they're they're two different things but yeah but it's interesting how how you absolutely can't get away from decay um in organic systems and ecologies Um, decay is an an existent form of life it's a it's just a a sign of life it's a form of life it's necessary to all things I was also going to say, um, while you were talking about the early art and the temple, um, that I was, I recently went for a hike. Although I, I, mm. have, have I told you about this? I mentioned this to you. That's right. We we had to reschedule mm-hmm. our previous podcasting recording because I went on a hike. You were on a hike. I was on a hike. Um, yeah, I went, I went on a hike in the South Downs, which is an area of England between London and Brighton, between London and the coast, which is sort of like these uh, big Downs means hill hills in, I think, Old English, um, and or Duns, and I thought it, it was, you know, it was a wonderful hike. It was like a two-day hike. I I camped in the middle. I just walked along these beautiful green rolling hills. It's all chalky. There are sheep and stuff, and I was reading. Um, a Terry Pratchett book because I was like, I need to take some reading material, and so I took um, Tiff- one about the Downs. Yeah, this the, yeah the second Tiffany Aching book, a um, a hatful of sky, and that's oh, beautiful. It was so good. It was so it was such a perfect thing to take with me because also I was also like while I was walking, I was thinking about witchcraft um, a lot, and obviously Tiffany Aching is a book about witchcraft, and it's got these the it's uh, that second book's got this like really strong um, uh, distinction between the kind of like, which I, you know, which, which <laughs> Terry Pratchett clearly knew a lot of Wiccans uh, just through being a nerd. And so mm-hmm. he, you know, he, we're coming he, up to him at, at cons and whatever and being like, Oh, I love the characters, but let me tell you about the real witchcraft. Exactly. Yeah. And so quite a lot of it is, is quite like satirical about this idea of just like wearing lots and lots of um, bangles mm. and charms and things. While of course, Granny Weatherwax is, is basically like a witch monk you know mm. she's like so she has minimalist nothing. she's so minimalist and yeah but there's at the very end of the book i found out why the book is called a hatful of sky because um there's this whole thing that granny weatherwax the, the like the matriarch witch um a term she would hate um uh imparts to tiffany aching who's like the teen kind of the bildungsroman uh the jane eyre witch of this of this mm. narrative mm-hmm. um which is that you know, like hats are very important. Like you know, witch hats are very important for Terry Pratchett's witches. And Tiffany Aching's 
got this like a lot of anxiety about the fact that she can't like find her hat or can't like work out what kind of hat to wear because she feels like that's the only thing really preventing her from becoming a true witch is is that she can't like get this hat thing right and then um granny weatherwax reminds her that her grandmother who is this kind of like extremely tough shepherdess you know she but she again she would hate the term shepherdess she worked all her life out in the in the downs looking after sheep she would always look after like uh find lost sheep she was really sort of like the 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 core of their community in the way that she always had lots of advice about sheep and um would always help everyone when they needed help but otherwise she sort of lived alone in this hut the shepherding hut on the downs and um Granny Weatherwax was like, well, I mean, obviously she was a witch, right? Because mm, like, mm-hmm. she ticks all the boxes. Uh, she was clearly a witch. Uh, she would just, she would help people. People would talk to she her. Lived alone. Yeah, she lived alone. She she knew sheep magic, you know, that kind of stuff. She knew how to fix sheep and find sheep. She was clearly a witch. And did she have mm-hmm. a hat? And Tiffany was like, well, no. And and, she, and Granny Weatherwax was is like, well, you know, perhaps like her hat is probably just the sky, you know, yeah. like she had. And so... And so Tiffany also realizes as she like sort of starts at the end of the book, she returns back to her community, which is a a shepherding community and starts helping out with the sheep really intensely. And then she sort of feels at the end of the book as if the sky is becoming her hat. Um, And I just find, because I was reading this morning about pastoralism and Mm. the, the topic of our conversation. And I found out that something I didn't really realize, for some reason, I, I sort of associated the word pastoralism with pasture. And I was like, oh, well, it's about right. farming, but it's specifically to do with um, shepherds. Shepherds. Yeah. And another, another related term is, uh, is bucolic, which is... Cows. Yeah. Which, again, I didn't realize, because it's, it's about cows. Um, and then I thought about, you know, and, and there's, a, there's this whole theme running through the Tiffany Aching books where um, Tiffany compares this kind of beautiful um, China statuette of a shepherdess with her little, you know, little crock and her little little baby lamb um, and her little her blue and white slippers. Uh, her dainty slippers and a blue and white dress to this mm. image of her grandmother who's this like big, stompy, like powerful woman who you know mm. wears huge boots and a big coat and stuff and she's like oh god what if my you know in the first book she's like what if my grandmother isn't a real shepherd and then obviously the you know the books are about her yeah. sort of realizing what actual what being with nature and being with a community in nature is kind of about and it's not about this kind of image of i guess kind of um I, yeah i don't know there's I haven't really w- unpacked what it is that that kind of image of the shepherd, of the the pastoral Arcadian bucolic shepherd, is is quite about yet. I mean, it is inherently a myth, which I find really interesting. You know that you have the um, all of the trappings of the, the shepherdess statuette are are high class trappings. That you have, you know, the gentle little slippers and the blue and white dress and the a cute little crock that wouldn't be remotely useful because someone else is doing it for you. I think it comes <laughs> from, yeah, I, I think it comes from like, like the, the that period of English and I guess European history where it was just like trendy to um, 
have, you know, some cows wandering through your garden. Not that you yourself, the noble person, milked the cows, but it was just like trendy to have that stuff as your backdrop, your setting. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it, it, it ties into this um, sort of bourgeois appropriation of, you know, the trappings of being um, poor and self-sustaining and treating them like a vacation, treating them like a, you know, the other that's really exotic, even though it's from literally your own your own country and your own food source, but you're so alienated from it, it becomes like a fun little um, mess up. I was just um, I just found this poem by Christopher Marlowe, mm. uh, Willie Willie Shakespeare's contemporary, which is um, this Flash, probable boyfriend at some point. Let's be real. Absolutely. Um, isn't that what contemporary means when you when you say that someone, <laughs> someone's contemporary? That's just they they bone. Um, it means they were boning. Yeah, they were boning. Uh, they were boning, but in the past. Um, so it's this poem called "The Passionate Shepherd to His Love," which which is is really just the horny shepherd to his love. Um, and th- th- I'll just read these lines to you. Um, they're, f- they're from Wikipedia, um, from the pastoral um, article, but I believe they are f- uh, from Wikipedia via Chris Marlowe. Um, come live with well, me and. No, go on, sorry. Live with me and be my love. That's right. And we will all the pleasures prove uh, or prove that hills and valleys, dale and field, and all the craggy mountains yield. There will we sit upon the rocks and see the shepherds feed their flocks by shallow rivers to whose falls melodious birds sing madrigals or madrigals. Um, there we will sit upon the rocks and see the shepherds feed their flocks. We're not doing, We're any not shepherding doing ourselves. it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we're watching. We're watching. So this passionate shepherd, horny shepherd, um, is basically just someone cosplaying as a as a horny shepherd. Well, no, I'm sure that the, sh- the shepherd themselves are in fact horny, but they're cosplaying as a shepherd. Yes, the persona of this poem is indeed authentically horny, yet is using the signifier of the shepherd. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. yeah, we did university. Yeah, we did. We did. And I and I do poetry analysis all the time with fancy little boys. Um, oh God! Do any of them cosplay as shepherds? Not that I know of. But I don't really. I'm not interested in their personal lives. That's true. That's, that's, <laughs> I think that's. I think that's the correct. The correct response. Um, yeah. So, but we were not actually planning to talk about Tiffany Aching, even though I think that these these are interesting books in that in that way so we can we can return to them we had um you definitely you definitely should have brought it up when we were talking about the things we were going to talk about and one of them was such a long bow to draw but we're just doing it anyway but that's fine i oh, mean yeah, I'm into that's it. right yeah i i sort of i remember halfway through that i wanted to talk about talk about that but yeah no absolutely want... bring it up because it's, i think what you were saying about that appearance of you know the the shepherdess the feminine the the fancy all of that stuff um, comparing to the reality of living in the landscape ties in really well to our first um, text, I guess, uh, our first content producer, because uh, that's what it is. It's not text anymore. It's content. Um, we're doing is, content. Uh, we're doing content. Is Lizzie Chi, who ha- is, uh, she, she runs a YouTube channel, and the YouTube channel is her um, making and doing and growing, you know, things. She lives in um, the Sichuan countryside in a farm with her grandmother. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Sichuan. It is super beautiful. Like, the landscape is really lush, uh, all these beautiful rolling hills. It's really fertile land. Um, 
like it's it's known for its incredible cuisine um uh and all of these like really uh intricate uh intricately prepared dishes um like it's it's a really famous part of like chinese food culture and it's because of it comes from this landscape with so many um natural resources of delicious delicious stuff delicious plants delicious um you know agriculture and because it's because it's china because it's Sichuan, it's you know pretty pretty central in china it's basically got five thousand years of uninterrupted culture during which they've perfected fancy meals um and like you know like and other things, thing things other things spend your well. time doing you know like i don't i don't actually know a heap about chinese history like i know there have been historically a lot of wars and some some emperor made it into one country or something i'm not sure like i know that there's been this like long history of, China, of Sichuan being you know not undisturbed but like yeah relative, like that, that continual culture they haven't had a diaspora they haven't had you know a big influx of of something else because of where they're located and because of all of the stuff about china and its size and whatever like so it's, it's sort of like to... like seen these days as like a kind of core of chinese culture hmm. or or a yeah, specific kind of chinese culture a specific kind of chinese culture so lizzy chi who who runs this channel um, she started doing videos by herself and you can sort of see the progress she's been going for years she has millions of followers and she has millions of followers inside and outside china um uh, i remember showing it to someone once and they were like is this propaganda and i was like not intentionally <laughs> like like i don't think yet yeah, 12, 12. 4 million subscribers 119 videos that's very impressive like i don't think she she like sat down in an office by the woman and they were like make us some good stuff i think she started doing this and she's just really good at it mm. and it happens to make you know all the stuff that was the dream of the cultural revolution look great when you live in the countryside and you provide for your grandmother and you you're like you, you craft things and you make stuff and you're you know happy you're you're, you're beautiful and useful that's the that's the fantasy she offers that's really interesting. And who, who is who's the fantasy for? I guess who mm. are the who, who are the viewers? I mean, um, I don't actually know. In, is, is YouTube um, allowed in China? Is it is it within the wall, the firewall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it is um, because, uh, and even if it wasn't, she must be cross posting it because she definitely runs this channel. Um, yeah, right. Um, and she definitely has success within China. She started the channel because, like, she she grew up at this farm and then moved to the city to work and got depressed and didn't like it and then came back to the farm with her grandmother and started doing this stuff. Um, like, at some point, they must have decided, uh, and I'm also going to film it. Um, um, Okay, sorry, I'm just reading. Even though yeah, YouTube yeah. is blocked under the Great Firewall, YouTube Alexa ranks YouTube as the 11th most visited website in China. So, also, no. I'm, I'm, it's fine. Also, I'm looking now, and they've got their own um, YouTube uh, like video sharing platform. 
10 seconds. Okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. Oh, of course they do, anyway. yeah. Um, she, yeah, so, so the thing is that she's like a young woman um, and she she will set up uh, an episode of the, the show and the episodes run anywhere from like 10 minutes to a half hour, depending on what she's doing, it will be about particular thing like a like roses or or um bamboo or watermelon or potato or wheat and she will go from literal scratch like you see her plant corn kernels um and then you know at the end of the video she's plating up like seven different dishes that include the corn that must have taken months to grow was one where she, she got a bunch of eggs from a neighbor, uh, hatched ducks out of them, and months later, like, and this is all in one 20 minute video that you see the, her time lapse of like, you know, here are the small fluffy ducklings, beautiful, and now here are the grown ducks, and they're laying eggs, and she's turning that into salted egg sauce to go on a go on a delicious dish, right? She oh, does wow. this really, really granular, exactly how food is produced. Like you see her. So rice, you know, you see her uh, um, get silkworms and um, wait and then weave the silk into an outfit, right? Oh Every stage of production. That's really the- fascinating. So all of this happens within one video, right? Yes. So- I find that so interesting because it's like, these videos are showing every stage of the production that is required, but they don't actually—they're sh- not tutorial videos. I mean, She's not could could be because like she'll give you instructions and you oh, see wow. how like like I don't think it's tutorial for growing this stuff. Um, you know she'll she'll show you like how she plants it. You know, um, she'll show you how she harvests it, but there's not instructions as to like the correct acid levels that the, the yeah, yeah. ground should be at or or how long you actually wait or whatever. But there is, when she's cooking, she gives you, like, a little thing of, like, you know, these ingredients. And so, like, you could, with some effort, find and recreate that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, when she's making a quilt or, a, like, a cape or whatever, like, you could see her at every stage make the loom out of raw bamboo so you're like okay yeah i could do that i'm not gonna i could and she's shown me all the stages that i could um and i think this is really interesting because it appeals to you know people who are alienated from the the labor of the everyday stuff of their clothes of food she i saw an interview with her and um like some some youtube persona where she says you know, one of my friends is a teacher who told me that uh, a student believed that rice grows on trees. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wow. Because like, you've, you've never been out to the countryside. The vast majority of, you know, Chinese citizens living in cities would not have any understanding of that. Um, so she has, you know, the, the, the life of life of corn, the life of tomato, the life of cucumbers. He has like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, preserve these vegetables and then eat them. I'm gonna make like a, a cool cake, or oh, it's it's New Year and I'm gonna make like 17 New Year's dishes. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's like 120 videos of her. She's always 
always just her in the videos. You right. will see um, maybe she goes and trades like a bucket of eggs to get a crate of crabs from a neighbor. She lives with her grandmother and you see the grandmother sometimes helping out, sometimes just sitting around watching television. She eats all of her meals with her grandmother. Um, she used to film it by herself. Now at least two people work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd never see their faces. Um, like she might, like, you know, on the New Year's one, I remember she like invites them into the shot and like they share a drink and that's it, but you don't see their faces. So part of the appeal, as well as like learning and, and seeing the production of this is the, is that independent, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, like it's, it's this kind of image of, I guess, self, self kind of real like self-reliance self-sufficiency self self-realization like like i am the Mm. one doing all this um i and yeah well i i guess it's it's similar i guess to the ways in which a lot of um content these these days is is presented is you know you have teams working behind the the face um Mm. i mean i suppose in a way it's also it's also kind of um similar to what happens because I said face, I'm not thinking of wrestling. Where you know you have huge teams of of people who who work behind the scenes in wrestling, and then you have the single people at the center. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And the, and the story becomes you don't theirs, see you, know. you don't see the costume. You don't see the training. You don't see the you know the person who sprays in a little bottle of water to get the hair looking right level of wet. I'm really excited about um, that, that fact. But like you, you also see her, you know, making her own furniture, um, making not all of her own clothes, but she has like you know this, this rack that she's built out of dresses that she's woven, and like is, you know, in one in one episode she makes um, makeup in the traditional Chinese style. So like she's still really determinedly feminine. Um, mm. You know, even when she's wandering around in boots and whatever, she's still like her hair's done nicely. And if she's not wearing makeup, she's definitely got like. I mean, and this is only stuff that I noticed that like, as as someone who you know grew up in inundated with makeup culture, the yeah. skin on her face is paler than the skin on her like hands sure. and arms. Sure. Yeah. Right. So she's she's paying attention to her. Um, She's paying attention to her physical appearance very much so. Uh, and, and she wants a feminine appearance. She wants to be pretty. She wants to be, you know, and she is. She's very pretty. She's very beautiful. I love her. But marry her heartbeat. Like, yeah. it's, it's terrible because, like, while I am recognizing that these things are fake, you know, staged, which doesn't make them fake. Like, she really is growing well, this, these yeah, great. Yeah. I was she really say is this, bringing yeah. these dark. Because in the same way as with... um with wrestling, um, I realized mm-hmm. that in these things that it doesn't necessarily sound like I think that these people are doing the work, which they obviously are. Like this is this is the fascinating thing to me is that um, a lot of content is mm. talented people, very talented people, um, being where their talent is presented in a certain way, which mm. which, which is appealing, be appealing beyond, I guess just the pure use of that talent so like for example mm. like, it's like sometimes when i need to um i don't know work out how to 
like fix something in the house or like like something to do with the allotment you know like like you know certainly to like some instructions on how to um set up this this compost bin i was building and um it's like like on youtube there's like like a whole a whole sort of range of things i mean i generally tend to like avoid i can't really get information from from youtube it just doesn't quite work for me i need to read it usually um so usually i will just read the the instructions but sometimes you know if i'm if i'm looking for something specific there there's there'll be an entire range of things um uh, content between like just some person being like all right so you know like 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 just silently usually because they you know they're shy or whatever just like showing you how to do the thing and then this complete sort of like today in the garden this fully fully organized fully kind of spectacular presentation mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. talent um and i find that and and obviously i like wrestling is at the far end of that where the as you've explained to me many times where like the 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 talent of the wrestling is fully spectacularized around mm. an, an entire like media culture mm-hmm. um and the, like some of some of the most successful um draws in wrestling is when people make the their fit visible you know when you see someone with blood all over their face and straining yes they give themselves that cut on their forehead to get the blood all over their face yeah that is simply the physical labor externalized and made visible yeah yeah mm, mm. So in the same way as those wrestlers have blood on their face, uh, she also has makeup on her face. Thank you, Raphael, for that segue. Wow! That's, that's really good. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is, I, yeah, I find, I'm, I'm fascinated as to, because that, that question that your friend asked about, like, is this propaganda is, is really interesting because whether or not it's propaganda for the Chinese state, which is, I suppose, a question I'm not like that that invested in. Like, well, I also don't think that the Chinese state is like actually wants everyone to move out to the like. No. Move out to, no, they don't want that anymore. <laughs> they don't want that anymore. But I, and I'm sure that um, yeah, that was that was a while ago. Um, that didn't end well. But also, the, I guess. The, it's propaganda of a different it's like it's it's a kind of like general propaganda of a kind of and i use propaganda here like more generally than people i think would would deign to use it as just like a spectacular representation of a certain kind of existence and it is definitely like propaganda of a particular kind of escapism Escapism, an approach to landscape, an approach to nature, an approach to labor. It's, it's the, I think it's the propaganda of the fantasy. We're not actually telling you to go out into the, you know, into the Szechuan mountains and, and live with your grandmother. Yeah. The dream that you could, the fantasy that you could, it's the same idea as, as pornography. Like you're not actually going to have this. Just the dream of having it makes you feel better about the situation that you're in. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's mm. definitely it. And I mean it's interesting there was um I'm reminded of this cookbook that my that my mother's got, which basically every so like every Soviet household had this cookbook. It was called like um I don't know like like the Soviet cooking book or something extremely generic like that. It was it was basically like like the government approved cookbook. 
and you know, fucking it, have to see this. I want it so bad. Oh I my god, it's so great. I think actually, I think it's not too long ago. I think it's been translated into English and and published in a kind of like slightly um, ironic, over the top, like... ironic over the top kind of way. Well, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, but this this cookbook is legendary, and it does it does you know break down all of the basic soviet dishes uh it's very easy to use you know it's it's one of those old-fashioned cookbooks where it's like you know you have like 17 different recipes for for like pirashki or blini or something where you know it's like it's like each recipe is like pirashki but with meat filling pirashki but with cabbage filling and so forth but one of the most amazing things about it is that it's it's illustrated with these beautiful um plates of like like abundant food and like the bounties of the countryside and the bounties of the table and like all the possible different you know these cornucopias of vegetables and fruits and so forth and there are some so, so surplus, surplus 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 and of course in the soviet russia there was no surplus there was in fact no food um a mm. lot of like soviet cooking from what my mother has explained to me was like looking at these recipes and then trying to work out like how much how close you could get to the meal presented in the recipe with like the sawdust and extremely hard piece of meat and fat, mostly fat, that you had been like that you managed to like scrounge from the supermarket. And some of the recipes have these magical things, like for example, there's a um a recipe for fish stew. And fish stew is this very, very classic um Russian peasant dish, you know. Um hmm. Ucha, it's called. And um in the recipe, it says so. You know, you know, you put your fish in, and you, and you make your stock, and then you want to t- take out the fish pieces, and you've got your stock, and it's cloudy. Now, to uncloud your fish stock, just uh, drop in, drop in a quarter cup of um, black caviar into the into the fish stock, and, and the caviar will will hurt um, right up. Yeah, siphon up, siphon up all the. Um, or the cloudiness, and then you'll have a clear stock. And my mother just found this extremely hilarious because, like, I, I think I the first time she ever saw black caviar was when she was when she moved to Australia. Um, <laughs> so the idea that you could—it was this—it's it presents this magical world, but at the same time, it kind of it makes you feel like you know it's part of the fantasy. You know, you're yeah, eating yeah. your un- unsiphoned, uncaviared fish stew out of whatever heads of fish you've managed to scrounge from the market and you're like ah yes but also in a way i'm participating in the in the perfect exquisite fish stew that that has been presented in my imagination Mm. yeah absolutely absolutely i i I 100 imagine you know someone in um in you know like a harbin, like a middling, you know, Chinese city in a crowded uh, apartment they share with like eight other dudes um, eating yeah. your communal, totally bland noodle. Yeah. Uh, and then watching, you know, Lindsay Chi make her, make her delicate fucking hand breaded dumplings that she's baked in an oven <laughs> that she built herself. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah same. <laughs> Absolutely same, and it's also that's it's interesting. What um, what Lizzie Chi adds is the making yourself aspect, which you know this kind of um, the Soviet mm. cookbook doesn't present. You know, this in the Soviet cookbook, you would definitely have you're you're meant to buy the caviar from the market or whatever. But uh, this also adds this kind of like 
sense of individuality, which I find really interesting, where it's like, um, not only is this a fantasy of a perfect pastoral world where, you know, I am a, a single beautiful woman living harmoniously with my, my grandmother and with nature and, and, you know, creating these fruits of my, of my own labor and then fully extending those fruits to, to beautiful items and foodstuffs that I make. But also, um, I'm, I'm doing it myself. And so therefore, as in, you know, she's doing it herself. And so therefore I could also do it myself. The only thing, the only thing that prevents me from being able to realize this dream is, is, is my own inaction or my own unwillingness or whatever. And so if I, if I, if I make myself better, I will achieve this dream. Mm, it's a, it's a, one of the great lies of fantasy. And, and we see this replicated throughout all the parasocial relationships with various celebrities of like looking at, I don't know, one of the Kardashians with their, their marketing team and their personal coach and their plastic surgery and be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just like, I'm just not quite there yet. I'm just going to like do the, the lip liner like she does it and I will be closer. Um, you know, I'm I'm not yeah. not weaving weaving my own silk silk robe and having like my cute boots that I that I use to plow a field uh, with my cow that I have that I love and my seventeen puppies or whatever. Um, <laughs> I I am gonna cook a noodle. I am gonna I cook make, a noodle. Did not make yeah. that noodle by hand like she does. <laughs> but I I sure I'm gonna cook a noodle and the fantasy is gonna get me some of the way there. And yeah, and I think it's also it's also the um part of part of the american dream you know that, that that idea that you can you can make yourself i was reading about um ruth Bader ginsburg last night mm. because for reasons um for reasons i mean it might not be obvious it might not be obvious when this comes out she just died. Oh, yeah she's she's just died and um i was uh reading about you know things she said about her her growing up and her mother and stuff and her mother was was a very like intelligent and and sort of um what's the word aspirational woman who a very supportive of her daughter yeah who was born in 1933 being like be a judge yeah exactly um and yeah yeah her mother really really wanted her to i think she wanted her to go into education actually but like she you know she wanted her to make something out of herself and her mother died with almost all of her like dreams um unfulfilled and she had many um, because she was a woman uh, in the you know start of the twentieth century, and um, and so Ruth Bader Ginsburg talked talked a, a, a fair bit about the way in which she respected the American dream because she, she felt herself as one of the kind of like success stories of the American dream because you know she she for, there was one generation between a woman who failed to achieve that much. Uh, even though she wanted to achieve a great deal, and a supreme judge, a, a supreme court judge, um, mm. and this kind of idea of of making it yourself is really interesting to me. I guess because I th- I think about communalism a lot and collectivity a lot, and I wonder how that sits with the idea of the pastoral and pastoralism. Um, because 
I think it's quite similar because I think there's this kind of voyeurism to to pastoral poetry and pastoral like literature and pastoral utopias, which um, you know, l- like that poem that I read um, by, mm-hmm. by, Kit, by Kit Marlowe, which which allows you to to just kind of watch this world. I suppose the slight difference is that in in the pastoral world there are shepherds, you know, um, but beyond that, you're kind of just like sitting and observing and feeling better through observing it's very much a kind of a, a, a pastoral gaze you know mm. so yeah and i wonder if there's something in there about almost um you know c- c- consuming consuming art consuming content um as um almost curatorial you, you feel a sense of success or or achievement in the way that you've curated your input as it were oh you yeah, you are really attempting you are attempting to create yourself through the things that you consume that's really interesting yeah i haven't even i hadn't considered that it's sort of like um you yeah you know there are many kinds of narrative you could Mm. watch and the narratives you choose to watch are of course say something about you and uh whether or not they actually say something about you to to other people you can certainly have this idea that you are presenting something about yourself or presenting a certain kind of uh personhood to other people mm. and to the world around you by by consuming specific specific items of media and absolutely if you if you are consuming these arcadian visions then in a way mm. you're getting closer mm. and closer to being arcadian mm. and you know like i am i am so guilty of this in a like for example you know like i with the allotment like we got the allotment and i you know like i'd done some vegetable vegetable patch to help my mother before um in australia but i i felt like the only way i could start learning about how to how to work this allotment was by reading lots of books about it you know <laughs> lots of like lavishly illustrated or lavishly described books about like all the wonderful things that can happen on the allotment i then i then of course uh rudely found out sometime later that actually what what needs to happen is a great deal of manual labor um which has been really interesting for me uh because nothing nothing will happen without without a huge manual labor of manual labor and and which you know which is not the, like I, I am i'm i'm definitely not all about like oh you know to be happy you must you must work but certainly to produce food from the ground and to you produce, must work to produce food from the ground in a way that you want you know not just like foraging not just Mm. a little bit of of like a small patch or anything if you want to produce food from the ground working both with and kind of against nature and you know in the idea of like removing the weeds helping the plants you want growing the species of plants you want and so forth then then you need a huge amount of time and labor to both work against against the natural like desires of of that specific bit of soil and with it to help that soil um, 
gain more nutrients and stuff. It it, it takes a huge amount of time. Uh, what what it what it doesn't take uh, is is reading books, but also <laughs> those, books, but those books those books inspired me, I guess in in the end. Um, and so perhaps by by um, watching Lizzie Chi, I could have also been inspired to embark on a quest of self sufficiency. Hmm. And move to such one. I don't know. I don't know what percentage of Lizzie Chi's audience would have done it. Look, I I definitely have cravings to garden. Plant went over to a friend's place last weekend, and and since the last time I'd been into their backyard, they've you know completely you know redone it into a into a you know food production area, and they will like have some have some have some kale. Um, get home with you. We have so much kale. Um, but you know, uh, definitely, definitely, this has been something that occurred to me in the early days of lockdown when um, my partner and I were both waiting on the results of a COVID test. And so we had to like really carefully think about like um, how much food we were eating because we, we, you know, didn't go out and we'd have to wait for a delivery and the deliveries were delayed because everybody was at home panicking. Um, yep. I was like, oh, it would be good to have a garden. But we also do live in a fucking apartment. Um, I work a full-time job. The apartment gets no sun, hence the mold, um, which is not edible. Um, no, Everything uh, is edible, Dom. Remember this. Everything is edible. No, I think the thing that you, know, that you define as edible is, like, you can eat it and it won't, won't kill you. I think that's actually the definition. I've made a number of mistakes in my life. <laughs> um... I have eaten a number of mistakes in my life. You were talking about you were talking about your 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 dark. Like I I I watched this I watched this you know YouTube series by this beautiful very useful woman and I sigh and I think I wish I was beautiful and useful. Um, <laughs> I I haven't I haven't done these things right. Um, and I, I feel like the majority of our audience by by dint of the same reason I can't do it because I do not have the material opportunity. To do it. That was part one of our Cancelling the Apocalypse blockbuster two part special about utopia and pastoralism. Uh, join us next week for part two, which is going to be about a text, sorry, content piece completely unlike what we've so far been discussing.